Thank you, Brother Bill. We're riding in the car yesterday, and that song came on. And Caleb said that that was one of his favorite songs for Christmas. So I, I think that it's very well written. And as we think about that song, it kind of ties into the message this morning. What child is this? What child is this? Last week we talked about uh, how in our time together that the baby in the manger is Emmanuel. God with us, and we looked at Isaiah's prophecy in chapters uh, 7 and 9. And so today, we're going to see a quote uh, that, that Matthew brings to us uh, from the Old Testament prophecy in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it there, Matthew chapter 5, oh, excuse me, Micah chapter 5, and uh, you can put your finger there in Matthew chapter 2 if you'd like as well. Uh, but uh, Matthew and Micah, Micah 5, 1 uh, through 25 this morning, we'll be looking there. According to Matthew, this prophecy that was written nearly 700 years before the birth of Jesus was fulfilled when Jesus came. By the birth of Jesus, this passage was fulfilled. And if we think about the truth this morning that I want us to see, we see Matthew quoting from this passage. He's talking about a shepherd king. A king who, like David, would bring the Israelites back under one rule and shepherd his people like sheep. And so the truth is, Jesus rules with authority and shepherds with love. So have you found your, your place there in Micah chapter 5? I want us to stand and we'll read verses 1 through 5 together. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. By the way, Micah is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's, I like it so much, I named one of my sons after it. Micah. All right. Verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Verse 2. But you... O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's stop right there and pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this wonderful text that's far too deep and far too wide for us to explore completely and understand thoroughly. Lord, we pray that you would give us a glimpse, give us some insight this morning, Lord. Speak through this humble preacher, that, Lord, you would enlighten the hearts of those who hear, and we would be more committed and devoted to you, and, Lord, that we would be more like Jesus as a result, and, Lord, that those around us would see Jesus in us, Lord, and then we'd have the opportunity to share the hope that lives within us with someone, Lord, someone may put their faith in Christ. And Lord, if there's someone in this place today 
that's never made Jesus their shepherd king, the ruler of their heart, the savior of their soul. I pray that today, Lord, that they would find their rest in him, be saved of their sin, have their eternity written down once and for all, their name in the Lamb's book of life. I pray this in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus rules with authority and shepherds with love. And I think about this. Many people don't mind accepting Jesus as shepherd. In fact, we see portraits and paintings all over the place with Jesus holding the precious little lamb or, or rescuing the sheep that's fallen to the, the, off the side of the cliff or something with his uh, staff. Or, and we don't mind those images of Jesus because it represents the comfort and the love of our Savior. And the world has no problem with a loving shepherd. But to say that Jesus is also our king, that's a different story. A lot of people have a problem with that. Because that means that he's in charge. He's a ruler. He's the Lord. He has authority. And if we think about that, some people in the church, they don't mind the king aspect. They have a problem with the shepherd aspect. They don't mind a, a, a savior that doesn't mind. They don't mind a savior that comes in and, and conquers and rules and has authority. They're kind of like John and James. And they're just ready to, to strike people with fire from heaven. They don't mind being uh, on that side of the equation. What we see from Scripture is the balance that Jesus is the shepherd king. In other words, he's Savior and Lord. He's love and justice. He's forgiveness and wrath at the same time. There has to be a balance whenever you come to the Savior. And that's what we see in this passage, this wonderful, beautiful prophecy that was written 700 years, about 700 years, before Jesus ever came to this earth. And if you read this passage, you think, well, clearly that's talking about Jesus. How did Micah know these things? The exact place of the Messiah's birth, Bethlehem. Talks about how it was too little to be among the clans of Judah and what we realize is when this passage was written 700 years before the birth of Christ, there were only a few hundred people that lived in Bethlehem. Just a few hundred people. Whenever uh, Abraham, uh, excuse me, whenever Moses was giving out the land and they were naming all the different cities of Israel and divvying that out among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem was never even mentioned. It was too little to be named. I mean, has anybody ever known of a place that was too small to be put on a map? I, I grew up in an unincorporated community called Monterey, outside of Jackson, Mississippi. We had a, a small grocery store, a gas station, a couple of churches. We had a, a stop sign. A stop sign. Well, actually, at first we didn't even have a stop sign. It was, it was really, uh, there was a stop sign on one side, but the other side was a through street. 
And we, we thought we were big stuff when they put up a four-way stop and a light that flashed above it. I mean, it was nowhere. Some would balk at the idea that a king would be born in Bethlehem. But those who knew the Davidic covenant knew well that the Messiah, the promised king of the children of Israel would come from David's hometown. Because David was that shepherd king. This prophecy was written well after David had gone home to be with the Lord. But the prophecy was was written in such a way that everyone that read it, who understood who David was, they knew that someone like David must appear in the future. Someone who would shepherd the people of Israel. He would shepherd them as the king. And this also meant that Jesus, the Messiah, was an heir to the throne of Israel and of Judah in Jerusalem. So let me ask you, are you willing to accept the fact that Jesus is shepherd king, not just of Israel and Judah, but he's the shepherd king over all of creation? Are you willing to accept that? If you're willing to accept it, that means a few things. First, it means that we would respond to his direction. That we wouldn't live our lives the way that we see fit, but we would respond to His command, His direction, His authority in our lives. That's what we must do. Look at verse 1 with me again. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. You see this king, and when he comes, the troops follow him. He commands the troops. You know that Jesus commands vast angel armies. He had said that He could... He could at once call 12 legions of angels to his side when he was in the garden. Jesus commanded the apostles with authority. He sent them out in Acts 1.8. He said, he said, you will be my witnesses. In the Great Commission, he said, all authority has been given unto me. He commanded the apostles and they did what he told them, told them to do. And they were willing to even lay down their lives for him. Paul said he counted everything in his life of no account. Rubbish, he even said, except for knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Knowing and serving Jesus was the most important thing to him. At the end of time, according to Matthew 24 and Revelation, the Bible says he will send out his angels and he will gather his elect to come to him. He's commanding angel armies even now and today. And I believe this with all my heart that the Lord has posted angels out there and out there and in here to guard us even today. And the Lord is an absolute authority over them. But I wonder, have you submitted to him as the king of your heart? He has the right to rule. It's proven because of where he was born, his lineage, and all of those things. If you look in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew starts out. This is why the New Testament begins with the lineage of Jesus. It's to show you that he has the absolute authority to be the king that sits on the throne of David. He's the only one that does. 
He has the right to rule your heart. Not just because he is the king in the lineage of David, but because he's the king of the universe that created you and me and everything that we see. He has the right to rule you today. So what is it whenever you're confronted with the decision to to place your faith in Jesus and submit to his rule in your life and you walk away from that? That's called rebellion. It's rebellion against the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's absolutely futile because he has the right to rule you. And some people look at that and they go, nobody's going to be the ruler and master over me. And I'll tell you this, you may think that that's true, but everyone serves someone. Everyone. And if you say, I'm not going to serve the one who really has the right to rule me, then you're going to serve something that's less than that. Something that will always, always, always let you down. Leave you empty and drained and wanting more. But Jesus is the only king who truly has the right, the authority. To be king over your life. And on on top of all of that. We see what his work is. And what he does. Because he says. He will gather his people. And I love that image. It says at the right time. He's going to gather his people together. He's going to bring the kingdom together. He's going to consolidate the kingdom. Now when Micah is writing. The kingdom is divided and the people are scattered and everything is in chaos. And it's like, what has happened to God's people? Why are they suffering so much? Why is there so much hurt and pain and difficulty and war and famine and disease in the world? And the world looks broken. But then you see the king come. And when the king comes, he delivers his people. And he begins to lead them and bring them together. Isaiah prophesies about this as well in Isaiah 40. And he says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus is a king worth following. He is a king worth following. If you think, well, I'd rather do it my way. I heard it at the children's a program that they did at the school last night. Uh, they sang Frank Sinatra's song. Uh, what was it? I don't remember the name of it, but it's the last song. Uh, he said, I did it my way. Well, someone said the national anthem in hell is I did it my way. Your way leads to destruction. The way of the king leads to salvation. There is one king of the kingdom. There is one kingdom and you aren't the king. It belongs to him. I'll mention this as well. Division in the church is not of the Lord. And one day there will be no denominations, no racial division, no age divisions, no socioeconomic divisions. We will all be one body, the body of Christ. And it's not just physical gathering that's implied here that we'll all be together. 
the nation was scattered because of spiritual rebellion. Micah is prophesying a day when the nation of Israel would give their hearts to the Lord in repentance from sin and faith in the Messiah. Jesus has a right to command your soul. And this time of the year, our culture puts Jesus and Santa Claus and Aladdin's genie and the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy all in the same category. It's all mythical fairy tales that exist only to give us what we want when we ask nicely. I mean, that's why we teach our children all these things, right? So that they'd be nice. And if they're not nice and they don't get what they want. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't exist For you, you exist for Him. You exist for His glory. He's the creator and the sustainer of your existence. He is the king of the universe and you exist to serve Him. Jude 25 says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, And now and forever. I love that. Before all time, Jesus was on the throne. Where is Jesus now? Jesus is on the throne. And where will he be in eternity? He will be on the throne forever. He will always be king. And there will never be another. He is the only one. And you exist to serve him. And there will be a final day when we're all gathered before him. And every knee will bow. And I wonder if you would walk away. Or you would bow the knee today. There's an interesting part of this story that we see highlighted in Matthew's gospel. There's a king in Jerusalem. And the coming of this king threatened that king, Herod. And he killed a bunch of babies. It's a horrible story. Genocide that he committed. Right there in Bethlehem. And what the Bible teaches is that not only Herod, but every person who ever rebels against the Lord, they're going to suffer suffer wrath. And so, when we think about how he's a king, you and I, we need to respond to his direction for our lives. If we're going to submit to him as king. But secondly, we should rest in his defense. And what I mean by that is the defense that he puts around us, that, that pen, that place that he puts the, the animals. And sometimes we feel like, well, that's just so confining for those animals to be in that pen. But the thing about it is, if the animals get out of the pen, they're in danger. They're in trouble. And so we think about the, the shepherd motif and how God compares human beings who that's who we are to sheep which are pretty dumb animals i mean pretty pretty mindless animals i mean you think about a sheep they will follow one another just about anywhere off of a cliff if if there's not a shepherd there to lead them they'll just they'll just kind of circle up huddle up eat all the grass that's right there And then they'll sit down, lay down, and bleat until they die. If they don't have someone to lead them. They need a shepherd. Which is such a wonderful image and a depiction of who we are. 
We need our shepherd. We need him every hour to lead us and guide us. There's, there's two main um, dangers when it comes to sheep. These three, two threats. The first, which I didn't think about this, but I, I was studying about sheep as I was preparing for the message. And what I found out is even more than predators, there's a danger for the sheep, which is parasites. And I didn't realize this until I studied it. And, it's, and I thought about, well, this is why shepherds move around with their flocks all day. They, they keep them moving. Parasites were and still are the greatest risk to flocks of sheep. Shepherds practice what they call rotational grazing to reduce the parasites, the risk of parasites to their flocks. They just keep them moving. And so it's important to follow that shepherd. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Thankful for Horace's prayer earlier. Where are you at, brother? Where are you at, Mr. Horace? There you are. You do such a good job praying for us. Thank you for that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, this is where the Lord takes us. He takes us not to the same pastures that we've been through before that are, that are mowed down and full of feces, but He takes us to greener pastures where we can be healthy and thrive and live. He leads me beside the still waters. I wouldn't know where to drink if it weren't for my shepherd. But I'm drinking from the well that never runs dry today. Amen, are you? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You know, but there's also the predators out there. So the psalmist goes on and he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why did they comfort him? Well, that was symbolic of the protection of the Lord. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, this is what's, what's amazing about the shepherd motif all throughout Scripture is, well, you've got shepherds all throughout the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what were they? They were all shepherds. What about Moses? Moses was shepherding his father's Father-in-law Jethro's flocks whenever he encountered the Lord. You got David. We've already mentioned David. David. David was the shepherd before he became the king. And Jesus identifies with all of them. And even in fact, in his birth, as he's born right there in Bethlehem, which is nowhere, but it's six miles south of Jerusalem. And in those fields around Bethlehem, the shepherds would, would, would herd those flocks of sheep and in preparation for the sacrifices that would happen in Jerusalem. And this is what Bethlehem was all about. That's why, basically why it existed. It was the grazing land for the sheep that would be sacrificed. And then Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. But then he is also the lamb that was slain. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Those inside the flock need the protection of the Lord. They need His defense. But those outside, they need His deliverance. So 
not, not only should we rest in his defense, but we should rejoice in his deliverance. And then we see what's happening here. Look at what it says in verse 5 again. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. What's this all about? Well, the number one enemy of Israel and Judah in Micah's day was Assyria. The Assyrian Empire was full of ruthless people. And they had built their great marvelous cities on the backs of slaves from Israel and Judah and other countries that they had warred against. They were a wicked people. You can look at the book of Nahum. We've been studying that in Sunday school. And the book of Nahum brings all of the woes against the Assyrian Empire. They were the enemy. And the enemy had carted off people, killed so many people. And the Assyrian Empire got rich off of these other nations. But what we hear from Micah in this passage is that there is, listen folks, there is no enemy so formidable that Jesus cannot defeat them with just the breath of his mouth. He is a deliverer. Our shepherd delivers us from the mouth of the lion. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. But David, this little pipsqueak David, who's saying, I'll take Goliath. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Wow, think about David's faith right there. David doesn't say, I'm strong enough, I can do it. David says, my God will help me defeat him. David had this faith that moved his feet. Ezekiel 34 and verse 16. The Lord says, I will seek the lost and I will bring back... Bring, <laughs> Tongue, tongue twister. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy the fat and the strong. That's the, the wolf and the lion and the bear. I will feed them in justice. Well, Jesus identifies with these images from the Old Testament. And he says this. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? I want to ask you this morning, are you, you Christian? I want you to listen to me, brother, sister in Christ. How has the Lord delivered you? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Many of you can testify how the Lord has delivered you. If, if nothing else, you can say, the Lord has delivered me from my sin. And I know that the grips and the chains of sin were strong upon me, but the love of the Savior was even stronger. And He has delivered me from my sin. Can you say that this morning? 
Look, that's a great enemy that the Lord has delivered you from. He's delivered you from sickness. I know many of you can say the Lord is, has healed me, even if temporarily on this earth, the Lord has brought me healing so that I can continue to serve the Lord. And He's taken you from the land of sickness and disease and death, and, and you're here in the land of the living. But here's the thing. All sickness, the Bible says, every disease will be healed one day in heaven. And there will be no more dying, no more crying, and no more pain. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for the Lord to uh, get rid of this sciatic problem that I got. From Satan. Sin, sickness, and Satan. When you belong to Jesus, He will move heaven and earth to deliver you from the enemy. Satan has absolutely no authority over the child of God. And there's people right now that are in the grip of sin, they're in the grip of sickness, and they're in the grip of Satan, ultimately. They belong to Him. And right now, the Lord is saying, you need deliverance from that. And He wants to deliver you from it today. And He's calling you today to come under His care. Surrender your heart to Him. And that means leaving the world behind. That means repenting. That means turning. And that's why we've lit the candle today that represents repentance because you've got to put your back against the world and put your face toward Jesus and come to Him. That's what repenting means. I love the old hymn that said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than to have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Is that true for you? Do you rejoice in His deliverance? Lastly, We need to receive, Christians, brothers, sisters, and those coming to faith in Christ, you need to receive His discipline from His hand. You look at the latter part of the text in verses 10 and following. And in that day, declares the Lord. In that day, what day? That's the day of the Lord which indicates both the first and second coming of Christ. Micah was looking for The the day of the Lord which came when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And now we're looking forward to the day of the Lord at His second coming whenever He returns. And what's going to happen whenever the Lord comes? What's going to happen when when He came then? What was going to happen when He came then? And what's going to happen when He comes again? And what happens anytime in between when the Lord shows up? The Bible says the cleansing of God is going to happen. He's going to bring forth His His will in the lives of those who receive Him. And and folks, sometimes that doesn't feel very good. It's called discipline. The writer of Hebrews says no discipline seems, seems good or joyful at the moment. Right? How many of you just like getting spankings, you know, whenever you're a kid? No? But we needed it, right? So we received it from fathers, mothers who loved us. He says, I will cut off your horses from among you. I will destroy your chariots. That's military prowess. And that's what Israel had trusted in. And the Lord's saying, you take your, take your eyes off of that and put them on me. He says, I'll cut off your cities 
the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And you think, well, well, that seems destructive. Why would God do that? Well, these represented the places of evil and sensuality that were built in defiance to the Lord's rule. These cities that they built up were not for the Lord and not at the Lord's direction. They were places where people, evil men could do evil things. And then verse 12, I will cut off your sorceries from your hand and, and, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. These are spiritual strongholds on the people of God that keep them in dark oppression. And folks, maybe some of you right now today, the Lord's throwing those things off of you. As you're coming to him in your heart, he's just throwing them out of your life. Listen, receive that discipline. If he's pointing, pinpointing some area in your life today where he's saying, this is not of me. It is the day. Today is the day to be rid of that and get away from that because it's pulling you down and you don't even know the damage that it's causing to you and your family, the people around you. It's hurting you and the Lord wants to cut it off from you. He wants to do surgery on your heart and get it out of your life. And that's the discipline of God. Will you receive it today? Will you let him? And he says, I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. You shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. The idolatrous worship that stole the hearts of the Israelites for the one true God. He says, I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. Those that receive the discipline of God should rejoice in that, knowing that he does it because he loves us. Some have wrongfully taught that shepherds, you may have heard this, but I want to clear this up. Some have wrongfully taught that shepherds would break the leg of a sheep that was prone to wander. Now I was studying this week about this, and, and I'd always heard that, and I thought, just something about that doesn't sound right. Number one, that's not in the Bible. But number two, why would a shepherd do something so harmful? A sheep with a broken leg was just easy pickings for prey. Prone to receiving more disease and infection. Slowed the flock down whenever they tried to move. It's not true. (laughs) When you start looking it up and you start reading and you realize, no, shepherds don't do that. There's no evidence that shepherds do that. However, what there is evidence that a shepherd would do is if there was a sheep that was prone to wander, a lamb that was prone to wander away, he would put a, not break the leg, but he would put a brace on the leg, a stint, to keep that sheep from jumping and running until the sheep, number one, recognized the voice of the shepherd and then learned his own name. You see, because... Good shepherds name every one of their sheep. They know them by name. Even today, they still practice this. Good shepherds will be among their sheep and they will learn the name, they will give the sheep names and they will teach those names to the sheep and the sheep will learn their own names and respond to that voice. When I think about that, well, that's good discipline. That's the discipline of a loving shepherd. Micah 7, the end of the book. Micah says, who is a God like you? 
That's actually what Micah's name means. Micah, that's what your name means, by the way. It means who is like God. Who is like our God. Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. See, you belong to him. If you put your faith in Jesus, you belong to him. You're his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Do you know that he loves you? Your shepherd king loves you immeasurably. You can't measure how much he loves you and what he's done for you. He gave his own life so that you may live. Well, what happens if you walk away from that? Listen to what the Bible says. Verse 15, it says, And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. He is a shepherd that loves you, but he's also a king. And he will have the final authority. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Where are you this morning? Are you under the care and the provision of the good shepherd? Have you submitted to him as Lord of your life, as king over your heart? Have you given it all to him? If you've never put your faith in Jesus, the one who died for you, there's no better time, there's no better day than today. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'd love to lead you in a prayer so that these are just words that you can say to the Lord that is your repenting from sin and turning to the Savior, surrendering to Him. So just pray this prayer in your heart to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner, that I have gone astray, that I've not kept your word. But Jesus, I'm repenting of my sin right now. I turn from my sin and I turn to you because I believe that you died for my sin. That you took my place on the cross. And that you were raised again on the third day. And you are the Lord. You are the King of kings. And the Lord of lords. Lord, you can have my heart. I give it to you freely now. Thank you for saving me, a sinner. Now I will spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you with all of my heart. And it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to have our time of invitation. This is your opportunity. That if you've privately prayed that prayer, now it's time to make it public and say, I truly believe in Jesus. And He has saved me from my sin. If you'll come, we'll, we'll welcome you into the family of faith. We'll offer you believers baptism and resources so that you can grow in your faith and knowledge of Jesus. And so we can connect you as well to a Sunday school group, a small group, so that you can grow even more alongside the family of faith. If you're looking for a church home and you know the Lord is leading you here, you come. Little Grove Baptist Church is a wonderful family of faith. We, we're not perfect, but we love each other immensely and we serve the Lord Jesus and we want to welcome you into the family if you know Jesus and you are being led to come this is your opportunity and if you simply need prayer our altar counselors will be here they'll pray with you I'll be here to pray with you you come or you just pray right there where you are
Submit to your shepherd king right now in full obedience. Let's sing.